Well, it's so good to be with all of you in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm excited to share the word with you that God has dropped into my spirit. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. I'm just going to read a few scriptures and then we will uh, pray and see what God would say to us today. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Everybody say marveled. You know, I have seen some pretty amazing things in my life. I'm, I'm highly blessed and uh, I've just gotten to see some really, really cool things that, that just kind of blew my mind. Have you ever had a moment where you saw something and it just amazed you? When I was 14, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Peru and we spent a month down in Lima, Peru and a few other cities down there. Uh, and before we left town, we went to um, Machu Picchu, which is a, an Incan city that they built at the top of the mountains. We have a picture here they want to put up. One of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life, they literally built this city in the top of the mountains, and they would hide their women and children up there when they went off to war, so that if they were all killed at war, their tribe would carry on and not, would, would not be killed off. And so they built this secret city and at the top of the hills. Absolutely amazing, breathtaking. We climbed up these mountains here on, on the side that you see, and uh, we spent about an hour at the very top just uh, spending time with God and, and worshiping. What, a, what an incredible time we, we had together. When I was 16, I had the chance to go to Alaska, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the cool things that I did was I went swimming in the Arctic Ocean uh, two weeks after it unfroze. Uh, which seems really cool and sounded really cool when I was 16. It was not as cool as it, it, it sounded. It was very, very cold. Uh, about three days later, I fell into a glacier lake head first. That didn't go so well either. Uh, but I, but I, I don't know how many people you know that can say they swam in the Arctic Ocean, but, uh, but I did. Uh, for at least three minutes, I was in there. It was... Uh, I've seen some really cool things um, that, that just, just blew me away. When I was 24, Lindsay and I were uh, in England and we were doing some ministry and I was preaching some youth conferences and youth camps and uh, doing some leadership things. And as we're driving through the countryside, I'm asleep and I don't even know where we are in England. And I wake up and look to my right and there's Stonehenge. I don't know if you've ever seen this before or not. But literally, you're driving along, it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no, like, like in America, there would be hotels and restaurants and gift shops. It was nothing. It's just a field and this. And you think to yourself, how did those stones get there? They're, they're literally massive. How did it happen? It blew me away. We had a, we had a wonderful time. Um, I've seen the great illusionists of our day. Many of them. I've seen David Copperfield. I've seen Lance Burton and many others. I've watched them do, do tricks, illusions that, that just blew my mind. When I was on my honeymoon, Lindsay and I, we were on a cruise ship and we saw these two brothers that were magicians. And man, I'm going to tell you what, they were 
unreal. This one guy was on the stage with a yellow motorcycle, okay? And I was sitting because I love magic shows. I want to figure out how they do the trick. Like I'm all in and I'm like, and I won't be, I won't be distracted by what you're doing. I'm watching, you know, because I'm going to figure it out. And uh, this guy is on the stage revving up this yellow motorcycle. Boom, the smoke goes off and he comes driving it right down the aisle where I was sitting on a cruise ship. How did you do that? Last fall, um, one of the greatest moments of, of, of my life as a parent, um, my, my daughter's softball team, we were playing, and it's the championship game. My daughter, you may have heard me tell this story. If you did, get over it. I don't care. It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, she had been suffering with a shoulder injury, so she couldn't play most of the fall. So she was having a, and she was already in a slump going into that. So she was um, going into this game. She was one for 17 for the season, which means 17 at-bats and only one hit. That's not good. And, um, and in this game, it, she's 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. This is not good. She's not set up for anything. It's a championship game. We're down by run, down by one. Runners on second and third, two outs. This is it. And I'm thinking, why does my daughter have to be coming up right now? <laughs> I mean, it's just not the time uh, to, to find this. And she steps in there, ball one, ball two. I give her a take signal, which means don't swing, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, just take a walk, please. <laughs> And she steps in the box really slowly. And she always gets in and she does this thing right here and she gets set up. Well, this time she gets in really slowly and she sets her bat down and she just looks there. And, and Lindsay is praying. Lindsay can't look. She's like this, you know, just like, oh, Jesus. And so she takes a little while and then finally she gets in and she holds her hands up and she gets set up and she gets ready to hit. And here comes the pitch and I'm thinking, just take. I've already given her the take signal. No. She crushes a double over the second baseman's head into right center field. Two-run score. I run out onto the field like a crazy person. I didn't even wait for the second run to score. I'm running out there, and she comes around second, ready to go. You know, she's, she's ready. And I said, you did it. And I picked her up, and I'm holding her like this. And I'm like, yeah, she's crying. I may or may not have been crying. Here, here's a, here's a, a couple of pictures from that, from that night. Uh, there we are. See your fa face all red. There's my son with his wild hair. Um, it was, this was 1030 at night. We'd been playing softball since Friday evening. It's Sunday night on a school night. We finally finished. There she is. You can see her eyes are all red. And, uh, uh see mine aren't red. I don't believe I cried. There's my softball team right there. Uh, they're giving the number one signal. One more picture. Uh, this is, uh, this is my wife and my daughter, man. Isn't that some pretty girls right there? Here's what's amazing to me, though. As incredible as the moment was, she told us later. Actually, she, she wouldn't tell me. She told my, my, her, her grandpa. She said, Poppy, when I got into the box, I was so nervous. So she said, I just decided on that pitch that I was going to pray. And Because and, we didn't know why she was taking so long. But when she sat there with her bat and the whole stadium, there's people everywhere. It's a championship game. And she stood right there and she said a prayer. She said, Lord Jesus, please help me to hit this ball. Now, I don't know if I cried on the field, but when I found that out, I was blown away. One more story. You want to hear another one? Okay. Now, the next pictures I'm going to show you, if, if you are queasy or you don't do well with blood, do not look, okay? Look away. Close your eyes, all right? I had the opportunity to, uh, when my son was born, to be in the room. We had a, we had a C-section, scheduled C-section, so I got to be in there. 
And, um, and so I had just gotten a new iPhone, and the nurse was going to take pictures for me on my iPhone. She was so, her and the doctors were not even paying attention to what they were doing. They were just so into the new iPhone. And I'm like, hey, can y'all pay attention? You've got like knives in your hand, and that's my wife and kid. And they're just like totally just talking and yapping, and oh, what does this do? And I'm like, just take pictures. Anyway, so as my son is born, uh, this, is, this is the first shot. Um, yes, that's my son. That's a wild picture, isn't it, right there? Holy moly, I'm looking at that, and you know I don't do well with shots and needles and things, and I'm like, I might go down, but this is so worth it. <laughs> And so uh, then the next picture, and, it, and there was this suction sound that goes like that as they, he like shot out. And that's when they caught him right there. Is that wild or what? Look at that. Crazy. Crazy. You know, I was so amazed. I thought, and, and I know that I'm ignorant because I don't even remember taking health class or biology at school, but... For some reason, you know how when you feel the baby kick when your wife is pregnant and it, it, you think they're like right there? Man, he was so high up and deep inside of her. They were like pulling things back and clamps and claws and digging. And I was like, good God. And I'll never forget that suction sound. He goes, there's going to be a little bit of pressure. You're going to struggle to breathe. His hands go like up to his elbows in her chest cavity. And, and you hear this, and he shoots out. I was like, this is awesome. I need to go lay down. <laughs> My nephew, Peyton, uh, was just born about six months before Randy, was a, just a beautiful boy with these long eyelashes that went way around and blue eyes and so when <laughs> my wife's gonna kill me for telling this they set the baby down there next to her you know if you've ever had a c-section you know you're kind of awake and so they get she gets to oh and the first thing now she's already on a lot of narcotics so she she looks at him and she says he ain't no Peyton but he'll do I blame it on the narcotics. And, the, and at, at that time, the anesthesiologist says, you need a nap, don't you? She goes, yes. And she was gone. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounded like right there. I, I, I have been blessed enough in my life, as I'm sure you have, to see some things that just blew me away. It just caused me to marvel. As I was reading this week, and I, and I read these verses, and it said, Jesus marveled. And so I asked myself, what things would cause Jesus to marvel? Like, as, you, as you're reading the New Testament, I, I remembered a couple of times where he said he marveled at different things. And so I said to myself, I, I know the things that make me marvel, that amaze me. What is it in, in Jesus' life? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. He, he's the God that when they said, let us form man in our own image, he was part of the us. He created the heavens and the earth, and yet something made him marvel. I thought to myself, what is it? I want to talk to you for the next few minutes of our service here about the things that made Jesus marvel. 
Father, I thank you for your presence that we've experienced here today. I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Lord, I pray for those of us gathered here and those watching online that you would inspire us, that as we look at your word, you would touch our hearts, strengthen us, and encourage us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In this story, Jesus has just finished the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. You may know it as the Sermon on the Mount. He's up on the mountain and as he comes down off of the mountain and he he gets towards the bottom of the mountain, a leper comes to him. Jesus heals him and cleanses him. And then he starts as he comes into Capernaum. Capernaum became Jesus' um, second home, if you will. He spent a lot of time there. And as you study the scripture, you find that he did a, a large portion of his miracles right here in Capernaum. He loved this city. And so as he comes down... This story is told, Matthew tells us and Luke tells us, uh, and, and their stories are a fraction different in how they recount it, uh, but the, 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 it's all really the same because w- what happened was Luke tells us that a centurion sends uh, some elders to talk to Jesus and sends word and says these things and Jesus says back and then they, they're kind of going back and forth with word. Matthew takes out the middleman and just says this is what the centurion said and this is what Jesus said. And, but it's the same story. And the centurion sends word to Jesus and, and he says, Jesus, uh, I need you to come to my house or, or actually I'm, my servant is sick and I just need you to heal him. Jesus responds with these just incredible words and he says I will come and heal him just as simply as that Jesus I need you to heal him Jesus says I'll come and heal him the centurion says or sends word and he says um, so Jesus I'm not worthy for you to come to my house I'm not worthy for you to step foot under my roof. That, that, that's not, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Jew. Uh, I'm not a believer. Any of those things. I just need you to heal him. Just send word and he'll be healed. And he gives us these powerful, uh, this powerful verse of scripture. He says, I too am a man uh, of authority. And I am under authority and I am in authority. And so when I say to a certain person, go, they go. When I say to a servant, come, he comes. Because I understand authority. So he says, Jesus, just send your word, and I know my servant will be healed. And at that moment, Jesus looks up and says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. And, he, and the Bible says he marveled at it. Jesus marveled at the belief of the centurion. Now, here's what's amazing about this and, and, and why I want to talk to you about the centurion's belief and why Jesus marveled at it is because his belief wasn't based on spiritual status. The centurion was not a Jew. In fact, he was a Roman soldier, a captain in the Roman army. The Roman soldiers and the Jews did not get along. Put yourself in the shoes of the Roman soldier. You're thousands of miles away from home. You haven't seen your family in, in many months, maybe even years. You're living in this, in this land that's a foreign land with different ways of living, different ways of eating, different ways, different beliefs. Everything was different. And um, all the fun stuff was happening back in Rome where you were from, but you're out here in this in this God-forsaken country, it seems like. 
And not only that, they hate you. And they're always fighting and they're always bickering and they're always causing little skirmishes. And you have to always be on your guard because there's these guys running around called daggermen who would keep uh, daggers under their clothes. And when they had the chance, they would stab a Roman soldier, killing him in the middle of the marketplace and run screaming that the Jehovah was coming back. You don't have a lot of reason to be friends with these Jewish people. You've got a lot of reasons to hate them. If they would just get along and act right, you could go home and be with your family. If they would quit being so hateful and mean and, and trying to kill you all the time, you could sleep well at night and shop in the day. But it created this friction. Neither party liked each other. And they fought and they battled at all times. And yet, here is one of these guys that says to Jesus, if you'll just say the word, you'll heal him. For this man, his belief and his faith had nothing to do with his spiritual status. It had nothing to do with whether or not he was a disciple, whether or not he was a believer, meaning uh, uh, what we would call a Christian, or if he was part of the way, as the book of Acts called him. It, it was none of that. He was just a man who looked out there and said, this guy is healing people, send word and he'll be healed. It was that simple. When I was uh, about three or four years ago, you may remember, um, one night, it was, it was in the winter, and my daughter really, really, really badly wanted it to snow. I mean, she wanted it to snow. And, and you know, this is Beaumont. It doesn't snow very often. Uh, it, it, and I'm telling her, Kennedy, listen, I love you, babe, but it just doesn't snow here very often. And when it does, it, it doesn't stick. And, uh, you know, the ground isn't cold enough. And we're, we're just going through the whole deal. I don't know if you've ever had that with your, with your kids. They just want to see, they just want to build a snowman in the front yard like they see on TV. So her and her mama are in the, riding in the car. And she says, I want it to snow. And her mama says, well, why don't we just pray about it? So Kennedy does. She says, Jesus, I believe you can make it snow. Will you let it, let it snow for me so I can play in the snow with my brother and my mommy and my daddy? And I'll be doggone if the next morning I didn't go outside and there was multiple inches of snow and the whole city shut down. You remember this a few years ago? And I mean, there was just, I mean, it was, it was like this deep. I stuck my hand and it went all the way up to here in my front yard. I'm like, where did this come from? This is like the second time this has happened in my life. And she just, she is convinced to this day that Jesus sent the snow because she asked and prayed. I just... So I don't know if you were needing a snow day that day or not, and, uh, or, or, or if you hadn't finished your assignment at work and needed an extra day, but you can thank Kennedy because in her mind, she prayed for snow. She didn't get caught up in the science and the high pressures and the low pressures and the ground temperature and the air temperature and the precipitation. and the, She didn't even care all that. She just said, Jesus, can you make it snow? And it snowed. If so for her, Jesus answered her, her prayer. And, and, and sometimes in life, we get so caught up and I, I need the pastor to pray because he's got the power and he's got the authority and he's got the faith and he's got, no, 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 just, just ask. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be in, 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 you know, you don't have to say, Jesus, forgive me all of my sins first. Sometimes you just ask and then figure out the rest later. 
The centurion didn't come to Jesus and make this big plea about how he was friends and how he wanted to help Jesus and how he wanted to get his life right. And No, 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 no. He wasn't there when Jesus died on the cross. None of it. He just said, send word. The second thing that we see here was that his belief was um, based on authority. He said, I too am a man under authority. I, I get this. Jesus, you've been talking and I've, I've heard some of your speeches and I heard about your sermon and you're talking about you have a father in heaven and you only do what he says for you to do and, and I, I understand that. And then you have, uh, you clearly, when you, when you give your word, things change and things happen and, and people are healed. So he said, I get it. You're under authority and you're in authority. And so he said, just sent word. This man understood the power of a sent word. He understood that you don't have to come. You don't have to make a big to-do out of this whole thing. I just need you to send word. You just say it and it will happen. Because this was a man who understood. When I send word to my people, it's as if I came and did it myself. So he said, Jesus, just send word. It'll be just as if you came. But I'm not even worthy of you coming. So just send word and it will do the job. That's understanding authority. I want to speak this over your life, a, a, a sent word. Whatever thing you're praying for and believing for in your life, I'm sending word right now that God's going to come through and God's going to shift and God's going to heal and God's going to set free and God's going to deliver. Just sending word right now. And then I love this in, in, uh, in the Message Bible, verse, uh, probably verse 12. He says, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust. You see, his belief was just a simple trust. It wasn't complicated. It was really simple. Jesus had said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, uh, just, just a, a few verses before in, in his sermon. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus understood. And he had been saying, just keep it simple. Verse 27, he says this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? One of the versions says it, says it like this. Which of you, by standing in front of the mirror for hours glaring, can add an inch to your height? You can't do it. So this, it's just very, very simple. Verse 31. He says, uh, um, O you of little faith... Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own troubles. Jesus said it's just simple, and the guy understood that. In the Message Bible says this, he said, Jesus said, be careless in the care of God. Be careless in the care of God, meaning it, you're in the care of God, so keep it simple. He's going to take care of you. Don't worry. Don't strain. Don't be anxious. Be careless. Not be running around like you're you know, running out into the street where the cars are coming, but be 
uh, care less. Live your life as if he's taking care of you and you don't have to take care of all of your needs yourself. We are in the care of our heavenly father. This centurion, he didn't complicate things. He had seen the miracles. He said, well, if he had done it for others, he can do it for my servant. Simple trust. And his belief got results. I love verse 13. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. It was according to what the centurion believed. Let me ask you this. The things you've been praying for and asking God to do, do you really believe that he's going to do them? Because I'm convinced that we do a lot of praying, but not a lot of believing. We say a lot of words and we quote a lot of scriptures as Christians, and, but, but are we really believing? The centurion believed. He didn't know the scripture. He didn't know the word. He just believed. I think sometimes we got to stop and make it clear both to ourselves and our God. God, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm asking for. And I am believing that I, and I have a simple trust and I'm expecting miraculous power to come through in my life and do what I've been asking you to do. I know you can. I know you can. Well, let's flip over to Mark chapter 6 now. And let's look at the second thing that caused Jesus to marvel. Verse 1. He went home from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this carpenter the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Listen to this. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about the villages teaching. He'd been in Capernaum. Now he heads over a little ways away to his hometown of Nazareth. You would think they would welcome him there and celebrate him. Not here. Do you remember last year when uh, Cree Harrison was in the finals of American Idol? I don't know if you guys watch American Idol. She's actually from like Woodville, but everybody from Jasper to Beaumont to Woodville to Bridge City claimed her as their own. Did you see the billboards driving down the road on the highway right here in Beaumont? We love you, Cree. We're so proud of you. I have never met Cree in my life. And we're all cheering and having parades. Every city like had their own parade. Jasper had a parade and Woodville had a parade and everybody was having parades. And then we have the big deal at Ford Park and she's singing and we're all like, oh yes, that's my girl right there. Like, no, it's not. <clears throat> when anybody is famous in America from your hometown, they are your best friend. We give them street names, Jimmy Johnson Boulevard. We name golf courses after them, uh, Babe Zaharias Golf Course. And, and we claim anybody that is... How many of you went for Seattle in the Super Bowl because Earl Thomas was from this area? 
And Christian Michaels, uh, who never saw the field, but he got a ring too. And, and he went to Westbrook. And so we were che- cheering for, not weeds, people were cheering for Seattle just because that's my guy right there. Never met him. Don't know his mama or his daddy and, and don't know the house he grew up in. No, but because he's from our area, we claim him. Not in Nazareth, though. In Nazareth, they rejected him. In Nazareth, they it's pretty amazing because the first thing is he comes in and he teaches. And in the first few minutes of his teaching, they are blown away. They say, my God, where did he get all this authority from all of a sudden? And then it clicks. And, and literally, uh, in the Message Bible, he says, in the very next moment, in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter. He's, he's Mary's boy. You remember Mary? This is the boy whose daddy is God, right? We've known him since he was a kid. He used to play in these streets. You remember that time you had to whoop his tail right along with all of his brothers? I remember that. I said, and they rejected him because they knew too much about him. The people that should have been the first to embrace him and lift him up, said, no, no, no. They didn't recognize deity when he walked in the room. They didn't recognize divine holiness when he stepped in the room because they had too much of a history. They had history with Jesus and it messed up their present and it blocked their future. They couldn't receive what Jesus was saying because they knew too much. Is your history, the things you uh, knew, the things that have happened in your life, is it blocking the miraculous for you? Is, are, are previously unanswered prayers blocking the miraculously? Do you have too much baggage? Has the church done you too wrong? You can't believe now because of all the things that have happened. You, you remember Jesus from Sunday school, but you have no relationship with Him as Savior as an adult. And so... We're blocking what Jesus is trying to do in our life. Don't let your past block Jesus from working in you now. They didn't have enough honor. Jesus said a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. People all over were honoring him. They were recognizing him. I mean, the centurion came to him and said, just send word. He understood it, but his own people. He had no honor. I think it's a, it's a caution that we shouldn't become so comfortable with church that we forget that we're worshiping and singing and asking the God who created the heavens and the earth to come and be with us. Don't get so caught up in liking or, or disliking the worship or the preacher or, or, uh, or the ushers or the greeters that we forget the power that we are asking to invoke when we pray. In our efforts to dress more casual and be more uh, uh, relative to a current generation and to a current society, we can't forget that we are still in the presence of the King and His name is Jesus. 
I don't want to bring Jesus back to the level, to my level like these people did, but I want to lift up his name. I want to honor Jesus. I want him to know that I am so glad that he's here. I'm honored to be in his presence. He's not honored to be in my presence. I'm honored to be in his presence. And this place where we are standing, it is holy ground. It's not just a wall and a screen and a stage and a pulpit, but it is holy, holy, holy ground. As we began today, we sang the song. We are standing on holy ground because I wanted to remind you of where we are. God, we lift up your name. We know where we're standing. We get it, Jesus. We're standing on holy ground. We're we're, we're not just coming together for a a social gathering. We're not just coming to see a few people that we may like, but we are coming to get into the presence of the King. I I don't want to become so comfortable with God that I forget that. I don't want to become so comfortable with my Savior that I, that I think he's, uh, and, and as close as, and as much as we sing the song, I, I am a friend of God, I, I don't want to act like and bring him down to my level to be as if he's one of my close friends. No, no, he's God and I have the opportunity to be friends with him, but he is still God. Uh, my relationship with my father gets complicated at times, and um, you know, he's, he's boss, he's dad, he's pastor, he's spiritual father. And, and oh, as I've grown, he's become one of my best friends in the whole world. And sometimes we'll be talking and we'll be talking about church things or life or whatever. And we'll flow from something that doesn't matter. Arguing about a sport or a football or, you know, whatever it might be. And then we'll click over into some other realm. And I, I forget He's not just friend, he's my father. He's not just a cool guy, he's my pastor. He's not just another employee of Triumph Church, but he is my boss. And the closer I get to him, the more I have to continually remind myself of who he is in my life. He wants me to be close. He wants me to be free to come and talk to him about anything. But I can never forget who he is in my life. And our relationship with God is exactly the same way. He wants you to be with him. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be present with your life. He wants you just to come and talk to him. You don't have to speak in perfect King James English. And you don't have to speak and know the Greek and the Hebrew and the history and all the scriptures. He just wants you to talk to him. But we can never forget to honor him. We are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. Bible says that 
Jesus could do no mighty work there. Because they were too comfortable with him and they had no honor. He healed a few people. He, he laid hand on a few sick people and they were healed, but he did no mighty works. Jesus was going into cities and villages and he was healing everybody. But there, he healed a couple. But, but I want to show you one other powerful thing. He did heal a few people. But the end of that verse, after he marveled at them, in verse 6, if you'll put it back on the screen, the very last verse, here, here's what he says. He said, uh, and he left and made a circuit of the other villages teaching. Yes, a few miracles still happened, but what they stopped Jesus from doing was teaching. Why is this so important, Pastor Renan? Because Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. A few verses later, he asked his disciples, he said, will you leave me too? And, and Peter says to him, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. But in Nazareth, they shut his mouth. He couldn't speak the words of life. You see, he came to preach a message. He came to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He came to seek and to save that, save that which was lost. He came to deliver this sermon that we talked about, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he came to speak these words of life, but they didn't get the words because there was no honor. And Jesus marveled at them and he left. He said, I'm going to go someplace where they will honor me. And I'm going to heal their sick. I'm going to lay hands on them. You're going to see incredible, mighty works, but I'm also going to teach and preach, and I'm going to give them words of life. The trap of losing our honor for Jesus, losing our honor for the King of Kings, is that we cut off the words of life. We find ourselves, our spiritual life, drying up and dying. And our access to God who's breathing life and speaking life, we, we, we close his mouth and say, no, thank you, because of dishonor. The centurion, he believed. It was simple to him. It was just simple trust. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't about spiritual status. He just believed. He just honored Jesus. Here's what he said. Jesus, you're not even, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house. You're like way up here, and I'm way down here. He had honor. He didn't have the, the, the church title. He didn't have the position. He wasn't the children's director. He wasn't the head usher. He, he wasn't the facilities director. He wasn't the pastor. No, no. He just said, you're up here, Jesus, and I'm down here. I'm not even worried that I have you come into my home. You just send the word. And Jesus sent the word, and power was released. But the people that were supposed to know him the best, they didn't lift Jesus up. They brought him down. You're just a little kid. I used to change your diapers. I used to babysit you. I, I coached your little league team. shut off the mouth of Jesus they didn't hear the message of the kingdom only a few people got healed 
Where are you at with your belief? Do you believe like the centurion? Or are you one of the people of Nazareth? We lost honor in our lives, honor for our king. Here's what I'm going to do. And, and when Jesus was speaking to the centurion, the first verses that I read to you, uh, he said, listen, there, there are going to be people outside of the kingdom that are going to come in because they're going to believe. They're going to see great works and they're going to receive salvation because they're just simply going to believe. But there are, there are sons of the kingdom and they're going to be left in outer darkness because they don't believe. This is a message to the church today. Where's your belief? Where's your belief? Here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. Our altars are going to be opened. And if you've been praying and believing for something, and maybe you've struggled with your belief, maybe you've forgotten to honor God, maybe you, you, you've prayed, but you, when you're praying, don't really believe that it's going to happen for you, I want to pray and I want to ask God to forgive me of the prayers I've prayed without believing. And maybe you want to join in on that. And then let's come. And if you have something you've been believing for, if you need a miracle, if, if something's going on in your life, you need deliverance, you need healing, you want to pray for someone, you want to pray for someone that needs Jesus, you want to pray for your marriage, whatever it is, you pray for your business. And let's come and let's see God do some miracles today as we have the faith of Centurion and as we put away the disbelief of the people of Nazareth, the people that are supposed to know him. Let's believe today. Stand with me, pastors and elders, prayer partners, would you come? Uh, when I open these altars, come if you'd like. We want to pray for you. It won't take but just a moment. We're just going to join hands with you and pray. Our worship team is going to sing a, a worship song. I want to invite you to worship with us just for a moment. Uh, and, and let's honor God. And then our host is coming. And uh, they'll share with some announcements and give you a blessing before we go. Father, forgive me of every time that I was supposed to be believing. Maybe I was asking, but I wasn't believing. Forgive me, God. Forgive all of us. We don't want to be have the disbelief of the people of Nazareth. We don't want to have the dishonor. But Lord, we want to lift up your name. We want to glorify you. We want you to know who we see you and who we know that you are. It's very simple, God. We're believing today. We're asking you and we're trusting in you that you're going to do great and mighty works in our life. I thank you for it right now. Release the miraculous in here as we believe like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.